Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Today, this message God put on my heart. I'm going to be looking at several examples in the Word of God and, and discovering the importance of the topic that I'm going to be sharing today. Just a few days ago, guys, we celebrated the anniversary of the birth of this once great nation. Well, some of us celebrated. Imagine how young this nation is compared to other nations of the world. Very young. Very young. Yet, in a very short period of time, many in this nation have turned their backs to God. I promise not to get political, okay? But if the shoe fits, right? The title of the message that God placed on my heart is, The Hour Has Come. The Hour Has Come. Okay? And today we'll be navigating or, or reading about a few people that were chosen for moments that were critical in fulfilling God's will and discovering some of the characteristics that they demonstrated. Saints, the Word of God is full of men and women that God used to fulfill His purpose, not only for the nation of Israel, but for all of humanity. Yet, I believe that God has saved His best for last. Yes, that's you and I. Okay. You know, this point became that much more real after seeing a movie recently that crushed my heart. And this movie was called, it's called The Sound of Freedom. Now, guys, I don't usually promote or endorse any movies or videos here at the pulpit. But if you've seen it, you know what I mean. And if you haven't seen it, go see it. But brace yourselves for a reality that many do not want to acknowledge. We live in America. Exactly. Guys, this is not a game. This is not a game. Okay. You could say that the the stuff has hit the fan, right? Because, guys, you know what? In these days that we're living in, we have to ask the question, what is the church doing about it? What are we doing about it? One of the problems that I see in the universal Christian church, okay, is that many of them treat this relationship with Jesus Christ as a weekend hobby. They invest more time in their social media apps and Facebook than they do in the Word of God. They treat this relationship as they can take it or leave it. You know, I've noticed many people here, guys, and as I mentioned before, You know, as Matt mentioned before as well, we're blessed for the generosity of all, all of you. And and with that, we, we, I say we, are looking for missionaries to support. We are so blessed. You know, guys, let's be honest. The Word of God is offensive to many. It's offensive to those that are living in sin. And it's offensive to those running from God. The question I have, one of them today, is do you really desire to go deeper in your relationship with Jesus Christ? Or have you become content in where you are? Well, if you desire to go deeper than you've ever have, you and I need to have a chat. We have a mentoring, discipling process here at Calvary that has transformed many lives. We see this family 
talking about discipling. Discipling, discipling. We have people come into the church, have no idea what discipling means. And I pray that you would take that moment just to come talk to me and allow me and my wife to share a little bit about that here. Recently, guys, a brother sent me a song and some of the lyrics I'd like to share with you before we pray. Some of the lyrics went like this, and I pray as we pray, guys, I pray that these lyrics would just be in the forefront of our minds and in our heart. This is what some of the lyrics says. It says, this one thing I want, Lord, to pour my oil at your feet. This one thing I want, Lord, to sit and worship my king. Why are you guys here? I pray you came to worship God. I pray you came to sit at the feet of Christ. Not me. But to listen to what God has for us all. And I pray, as the song said, to pour my oil at your feet. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this day. Help us, my King, to empty our hearts so that you, my God, may fill it. Help us, my King, to come and pour our oil at your feet with no distractions, no nothing else, Lord, that we may come and sit before you, my King. I pray you would bless me, Father, with this gift of teaching that these words that come from my mouth come directly from your heart. That, Father, they would penetrate those listening here and through the Internet, Father, that we as believers would be conscious of your presence everywhere we go. And more than that, Lord, we would be conscious of the calling that you've given us, the mission. Thank you, my God, for what you're doing in our midst. Yes, even in this storm, my God, you are saving. You're moving. You're drawing people back to you. So we thank you, Father, for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The title, guys, the hour has come. Now, when you hear that phrase, what do you guys think of? You know, some of us think of homework, school starting back up. Oh, no, the hour's coming. Ooh, tests. You know, guys, this phrase brings back not some pleasant memories. You know, when I was a teenager, teenager, I was rarely in trouble, okay? I, you know, don't listen to the other people that said I was always in trouble. I was rarely in trouble. And I used to hear, wait till your mom hears about that. Guys, the hour had come. I'd get home and my mom already knows. I knew I was in trouble when, when I saw a chancla in her hand, right? She's wearing one chancla. And imagine this picture, guys. I get home and she's chasing me around the house with this chancla. The other one hanging onto her foot. And I was lucky to sit down for a week after that, guys. Okay, so that, that's what this phrase reminds me of. But you know what? Let's look at what this phrase means when Jesus said it. Turn with me to the book of Mark. Chapter 14, verses 32 through 41 to discover what this phrase meant. Here we see the agony in the garden. Okay, the agony in the garden. It says here in verse 32, Then he came to the place which was named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him and began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. 
he went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch for one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. When he returned, he found them sleeping again, for their eyes were heavy and they did not know what to answer him. Then he came the third time and he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Amen. Guys, I'm very careful not to judge these men too harshly, okay? After all, they didn't have the Holy Spirit. And they didn't understand what was happening here. We would learn that very night that one of his disciples would betray him and another one would deny him. It seemed, guys, at the very critical moment of their lives that they would fail him when they were needed the most. One of the things that I love about the Word of God and, and actually validates the authenticity of it is that not all the people that God used in the Bible were perfect. In fact, far from it. Regardless of a man's weakness, failures, betrayals, lack of understanding, disobedience, sin, etc., etc., God's will, His purpose will be fulfilled. Amen? We don't have to look far for an example of a man that demonstrated some of these traits that I just mentioned. With that, let's take a look at Jonah, for example. Jonah was a man of God, a prophet that lost his desire for the things of God. And when that call came, when the hour had come, he ran from God's presence. Jonah became complacent or lazy to the point, guys, to the point that he no longer saw value in a lost soul. When you come to that point where you no longer care for those that are lost in the world, you need to check yourself. Whew. He could care less, guys, if Nineveh was destroyed or not. You guys know the story. God used this disobedient, renegade prophet to warn the city of his judgment if they did not repent. You know, after reading this story, guys, I quickly saw myself in Jonah. How many times have I become complacent in my relationship with God? How many times have we ran from his presence and his calling? Praise the Lord that he does not need to fulfill his purposes. He doesn't need us for that. But he allows us that privilege to be involved in many of them. What a blessing. Guys, imagine, imagine with his disobedient prophet what he did. He saved an entire nation. Can you guys tell me what nation needs salvation right now? This one. But imagine what he did with a disobedient prophet. Now imagine what he can do with someone that's obedient and faithful. Well, now let's take another look at an example. Please come with me to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. 
Here we see, guys, a man that loved the Lord and was grieved for his nation and had the passion to do something about it. Now, here we see that he gets permission from the pagan king. And he had one goal in mind. Nehemiah 2.17 through 18. And in the New Living Translation, here after arriving in Jerusalem and speaking to his men, he, this is what he says in verse 17. But now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told him how gracious the, the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. They replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. Amen. Now let's jump to chapter 6, guys. Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 15 through 16. This is after the wall has been completed. Nehemiah 6, 15 and 16. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul, in 52 days. And it happened when all our enemies heard of it, and all the nations around us saw these things, that they were very disheartened in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was done by our God. Praise the Lord. Guys, Nehemiah was surrounded by his enemies. People wanted to see him fail. They tried conspiracies, threats of attacks, yet this man trusted in the one above all. He trusted in God. And every critical moment, he would go to God in prayer. You could say that the hour had come for rebuilding of the wall and this critical moment in history. In just 52 days, this wall was completed in the year 445 B.C. Why is that date so important? We're using the combination of prophetic and historical information. We can say with certainty that the starting point for Daniel's prophecy began on the day of Nisan, which correlates to what we would have been according to the Gregorian calendar, March 14th, 445 B.C. As Pastor Jim mentioned in the study before, the coming of the Messiah would be prophesied by Daniel to the very day of his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And also numbering the years of the second coming of Jesus Christ back to this earth. That date's important because that started the clock for Daniel. Nehemiah demonstrated faithfulness and obedience. Despite being surrounded by enemies, constantly hounded, he never lost focus on God. And he never lost focus on the mission that God gave him. Nehemiah was honored by this king and he was honored by God for his faithfulness. You know, saints, this encourages me uh, about these men and women that God uses. The thing that, used, that encourages me is that they weren't perfect. They were common people just like you and I. Just like you and I. Many had moments, there were many other moments of fear and doubt, right? Now let's take a look at another example of someone that demonstrated that. That demonstrated a little bit of fear and doubt. Turn with me to the book of Esther. Okay, chapter 4, verses 10 through 14. Okay, this life and death drama begins with an egomaniac, guys, okay? 
high-ranking official in the world court, devises a plan to exterminate the Jews. This high official, I was going to say Biden, but somebody talked me out of it. Uh, This high official, Haman, is upset because Mordecai has failed to show him the subservience he demands. There are political maneuverings, death threats, shocking plot twists that places Mordecai's young cousin, Esther, exactly where she needs to be at this critical time for her people. Here, Mordecai learns the plot of Haman to destroy all the Jews, and he sends news to Esther. Here we see her fear and doubt. We see her reluctance to share this with the king. In Esther 4.10, she goes, Then Esther spoke to Hathach and gave him a command for Mordecai. All the king's servants and all the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king, who has not been called, he has but one law. Put all to death. Except the one who the king holds out the golden scepter, that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go into the king these 30 days. Okay, here we see her reluctance. You want me to go into the king, but here this is the law. So they they told Mordecai Esther's words, and, and Mordecai told them to answer Esther. Do not think your heart, in your heart, you will escape the, the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Amen. Guys, for Esther and the Jews, the hour had come to take a stand. After Esther told the king of this plot that Haman had devised, the king ordered that Haman be hung on the very gallows that Haman had built for Mordecai. Amen. When you come against God's children, let me tell you something. Watch out. God will not be mocked. As we continue to learn, saints, about these critical moments that some of the women God used, you'll soon discover that this plot of destroying the Jews is nothing new. But now, but now, in in our time, the enemy's focus has shifted. The target is now Christians. The target is now us. And now God has blessed us with the opportunity to stand as his ambassadors in these final days. The hour has come, my brothers and sisters, for true believers to finish this race that we all have been granted. Now with that, please come with me to the book of Philippians to see what Paul wrote about this amazing calling. Philippians three twelve through 17, please. Philippians three twelve through 17. And here he's speaking, he says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. 
but we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Verse 17, dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. You know, this reminds me of a question that I often ask the men that that are going through this process of discipleship here, the mentoring process. And allow me to ask you the same question. Can you honestly say to those around you, to your children, to your spouse, to your family members, to your co-workers, to your neighbors, can you honestly say what Paul said? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Can you honestly say that? You know, guys, this discipleship process is, it's not a Bible study as I say this to the men. Yet you will be in the word of God more than ever. If you've never been discipled or mentored, you are missing out of how deep God desires for you to go in this relationship. And if you are hungry for more of God, then after service, come and see me. Amen. My wife and I would love to talk to you. You know, guys, one of the areas that I've witnessed and have struggled with in my walk with Christ is that some people continue to struggle with the things that they've done in the past. Paul learned to stay focused on the prize of what was ahead, and that prize is Jesus Christ himself. Saints, the enemy is relentless in showing us our past, telling us that we are not worthy of being called children of God. I struggled for that for a time, guys, until God helped me overcome this through the process of discipling. The chains came off when I discovered that my past was not there to remind me of my inadequacies, my failures, or my sin. But God allowed it to remind me of His grace. Now, every time I look into the rearview mirror, so to speak, all I see is God's grace. No more chains. Praise the Lord. Guys, I remember who I was before God saved me. But there are many people that pray that God removes the memory of their past sin. No. It reminds me of God's goodness to me. It reminds me of His grace in my life. It reminds me of where I was and where I never want to be again. It reminds me that His work in me may not be complete yet. And there's still a little bit yet to go. But like Paul said, I have not yet arrived. Well, praise the Lord, I'm not who I was before. Amen? Amen. Amen, yes. When I went through this process, my wife grabbed me and says, Who are you? What have you done with my husband? God has changed your heart. And me with my wit, you know, you want the old guy back? She goes, heck no. Guys, <laughs> learn to embrace these memories as a testimony of God's goodness and grace. And remember, and a reminder of what God has saved you from. Please don't look behind you and carry that with you like baggage chains. Learn how to overcome and say, thank you. Thank you. Now, guys, obviously we can talk about this all day long. And we can obviously talk about how God used 
uh, these men and women in the Bible, you know, we can carry on. Uh, remember David and Goliath? The hour had come for the big showdown. Remember Noah and the unbelievers? The hour had come for the cleansing. Remember Moses and Noah and Pharaoh, I'm sorry. The hour had come for a swimming lesson, right? Well, so many others in all these events. God was not only the orchestrator of these events. He was also the, always the victor. Imagine in all these things that happen. God orchestrated that. Now, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to yeah, okay. Yeah. And Moses, Pharaoh said, oh, look, look, look. He put himself into a trap. Yeah, God put him in a trap. But the trap wasn't meant for the Jews. It was meant for Pharaoh. Now, guys, let's return to our study. And I want to use one more example of how God uses people in critical moments. Let's take a look at Gideon, okay? And the great victory that God gave to him. Please come with me to the book of Judges. Chapter 6, verses 36 through 40. And if there's a heading to this part of Scripture, guys, this I love putting headings on this. This heading here in Judges 6, 36 through 40 says, this heading here is, here's your sign, okay? Here's your sign, Gideon, okay? And you'll see what I mean here in a minute. And this is after God has promised him that, hey, you know what? I'm going to use you to rescue Israel. Okay. Now Gideon said to God, if you're truly going to use me to rescue Israel, as you promised, prove it to me in this way. I will put a wool fleece, put a wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight. If the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I will know that you are going to help me rescue Israel as you promised. And that is just what happened. When Gideon got up early in the next morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung out a whole bowl full of water. Okay? Okay, here he goes, guys. This is Gideon. This is some of us. Then Gideon said to God, please don't be angry with me. But let me make one more request. Let me use the fleece one more time uh, for one more test. This time, let the fleece remain dry while the ground around it is wet with dew. So that night, God did as Gideon asked. The fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. Amen. How many of us are like that? Lord, give me a sign. Please give me a sign. Give me a sign, Lord. Just give me a sign. Here's your sign. You know. You know, I'm sure most of you have read the story. And, and guys, you got to love. You have to love the military mind of God. It doesn't make sense sometimes. Okay, and you'll see her in a minute. See, with, with Gideon, and there was a small problem here with his army. He had 32,000 men against 125,000. Gideon, we got a problem. He got, no, Lord, we ain't got enough. He goes, no, no, you got too many. So you see God had whittled them down, whittled them down, whittled them down to 300. The original 300, oh, right? Guys, now, if 300 men going up against 125,000 wasn't blind, mind-blowing enough, listen to the weapons of warfare God had given Gideon to use. Now, come with me to Judges chapter 7, 15 through 18. You've got to love God's military mind here. Judges seven fifteen says, When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed and worshiped before the Lord. Then he returned to the Israelite camp and shouted, Get up! For the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. 
He divided the 300 men into three groups and gave each man a ram's horn and a clay jar with a torch in it. Okay, guys, read it again. Okay, a ram's horn, a clay pot, went to Home Depot, and a torch in it. You know, I would have sat there like, okay, where's my sword? Where's my shield? Where's my helmet? Right, right? Then he said to them, keep your eyes on me. When I come to the edge of the camp, just do as I do. As soon as I and those with me blow the ram's horns, blow your horns too. All around the entire camp and shout the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. It was just after midnight, after changing of the guard, when Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp. Suddenly they blew the ram's horns and broke their clay jars. Then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. They held the blazing torches in their left hands and the horns in their right hands. And they all shouted, the sword of the Lord and for Gideon. Each man stood at his position around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in panic, shouting as they ran to escape. When the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their own swords. Guys, look around you today. Who's panicking? The Christians are panicking. We have God. I talk to many people throughout the week. Oh, man, I'm kind of full of anxiety. Why? Why? God's in control of what we're going on through in America. It's amazing, the military mind of God, you know? You know, guys, everything that God does has a significance to it. Imagine this picture of Gideon going to battle with a ram's horn, a clay pot, and a torch inside of it. The victory was already won before Gideon even stepped onto the battlefield. Our victory has already been won by Jesus Christ. But I see so many people panicking. Panicking. Why? Because they don't trust God. All God is looking for, saints, all he was looking for these men and women and in us is the faithfulness and obedience. The story of Gideon is fascinating enemy, and it has many things in common for, for this time period that we are living in. And in a moment, here in a few moments, we'll take a deeper look at the weapons that God had given Gideon to use in this battle. But first come with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. Here we see Paul speaking to the church to get a better understanding of the war that we are in. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. And he says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down arguments of every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity, to the obedience of Christ. Amen. Now come with me also to the book of Ephesians. Here again Paul is speaking. Ephesians chapter 6. Verses 12 through 13. And again Paul says. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But against principalities. Against powers. Against the rulers of darkness of this age. 
against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand. Guys, are we in the evil days? If you don't see it, you know what? You need your spiritual eyes checked. Everything we see is, wow, man. How, how can we endorse something? Well, not we. Okay. How can they endorse something that a few years ago was evil, was, was horrible? And now they call it good. Yeah, make no mistake, brethren. We are in a battle. And the hour has come for the true believers to stand. If, again, if you cannot see the evil behind this agenda that they continue to pour out, then you need your spiritual eyes checked. Now, as the worship team comes up. Now, coming back to Gideon and the weapons that he used in battle, let's take a deeper look at each element and how we can incorporate them as well. Number one, the ram's horn. It signifies power, authority, and praise. You guys understand there's power in praise? So many people leave the house like this. Allowing this to dictate, dictate their whole day. How many of us say, praise you, my king? I'm still alive. I don't know if that's good or bad, but I'm still alive. <laughs> praise you, my God. Before every battle, there should be prayer and praise to God. Question, guys, how is your prayer time with God? How is your praise time with God? I love being alone. Why? Because I'm crazy, but I love being alone. You know why? Because I praise God. And I'm not looking around like, oh, he's looking at me. He's looking. No, no. I'm praising God because he's worthy. Okay. Number two, okay, this one kind of had me scratching, but praise God. The clay pot. The clay pot. Me and my wife, we went to Home Depot the other day and walked, looking at these clay pots. Expensive. Whew. I don't think so, honey. We're not going to do it yet. The clay pot signifies our flesh. After all, Adam, Adam was created by what? The clay. Or little kids, he was created by dirt. Yep, you're right, dirt. The clay pot had to be broken to release what's inside. Has your clay pot been broken? Or or have you bought a lifetime supply of super glue trying to keep it together? Oh, no, no, this piece is falling off here, okay? Let it fall off. Remember what Paul said in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And in the, the life that I live in this clay pot, this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Has your clay pot been broken? Because until then, brothers, let me tell you, the Holy Spirit is limited. But when you say, here, Lord, crucify me. Woo. (sighs) 
Once the clay pot is broken and life completely surrendered to God, the Holy Spirit comes with fire. The transformation has begun. These battles, guys, belong to, the, to God. And guess what? Our God always wins. You think he's there like, oh, what am I going to do here? Oh, I know what I'll do. You know what you're doing. Yeah, ram's horn, clay pot, and, you know, the torch. Gideon's like, what? As we come to the end of the study, guys, let us survey the time that we're living in. I can say with certainty that we can all relate to some of these examples given today. Are you a Jonah running from God? Are you down in the bottom of a boat sleeping while the storm rages on? Well, it's time to wake up and stop running. It's time to finish the mission that God has chosen for you. Are you a Nehemiah surrounded by your enemies? Well, stay focused and true to your calling. Continue to saturate yourself in prayer and in his word. Are you an Esther filled with some fear and doubt? Well, trust in God and allow him to use you for such a time as this. And at least but not and last but not least, are you a Gideon? Always looking for a sign. Here's your sign. Well, if you're a Gideon, you're looking for a sign, let me tell you. Let me jot these down. Read the book of Ezekiel, chapters 37 through 39, and read Matthew chapter 24. And I believe these signs are evident of the days that we're living in. Brothers and sisters, the hours have come. And we have been summoned by our great king. For the harvest he has prepared. You guys see it? So many are so focused on the storm and these things going on. We don't even see the harvest God is preparing. People see this and are coming like, does anybody have the truth? Right here at Calvary Chapel. Other churches as well. The question is, when he returns, will he find us faithful and obedient and filled with the Spirit and fulfilling the mission that he gave us? Or will he find us sleeping? Or better yet, will he find us so entangled in our own affairs that we can hardly recognize his voice anymore? You want to hear his voice? Yes. But some can't even hear it anymore. Why? Because some don't even know where their Bibles are at. I'm not talking about the device, Pastor Jim. Get a paper Bible. (sighs) My prayer is that he would find us going about his business. He, He would find us going about his will and the mission that he gave to us. And when the hour has come, when that glorious hour has come, guys, I want to hear those words. When I stand before Christ, I want to know that I did everything possible. And I want to hear those words, well done. My complacent and lazy servant. Is he going to say that? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. I spent too many years serving this other clown. 
hours come, my brothers and sisters. Well, praise God. God bless you all. And if for those listening do not have a personal relationship with God. And you're looking for a sign. Here's your sign. Please do not let another day go without receiving him. Please. God is faithful, guys. God is true. He always has been and he always will be. And he has chosen us for the hour has come. Amen. Amen. If you need prayer afterwards, please come up here. We'd love to pray with you. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this day thanking you, my King. We are not worthy, my God. Yet you, by your sacrifice, made us worthy. Help us, my King. Help us to discard the chains of our past. To surrender them to you, my God. And to allow the flame of your spirit to burn in us so brightly, my King, that that others would see it and be drawn to it. Thank you, my God, for what you're doing in our midst. Thank you, yes. I pray for every saint here, every person here, everyone watching through social media. I pray, my God, they would... They would be conscious. They would be aware of your presence everywhere they go. And Father, for those that don't have a relationship with you, my King, I pray that you would touch their hearts, my God, and wake them up to help them to see what's going on today. Thank you, my God, for choosing us for this time, choosing us for this hour. Lord, we love you. We praise you, my King. For all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church, and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.